All right, we'll remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. This is from Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse six, uh, one through six, and uh, we're going to kind of focus on that last verse of this uh, section of scripture. But it's the story of King Jehoshaphat, and uh, let me share it with you. Second Chronicles twenty, verses one through six. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Don't worry about the screen, I've got it right here. (laughs) Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Let's, uh, let's pray together, and uh, then we'll look into God's word. Lord, we're thankful for another day. Um, Lord, thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for uh, uh, the privilege to come to church and worship you, uh, to encourage one another, to fellowship together. Lord, uh, we just thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for um, being able to partner with missions. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the privilege of supporting uh, missions here at Community Bible Church. Lord, um, may we be able to um, encourage them as they um, continue that work for you. Now, Lord, we pray that uh, you will open up our hearts to your word today. May we be like Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Lord, may our lives be changed, our hearts be changed, because uh, um, your spirit took the word of God and spoke to us. So we listen with eager ears and look forward to all that you have to say to us today. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are glad you are here this morning. Um, we have folks in Florida, Arizona, Hawaii today, and, uh, and Nebraska and some other places. <laughs> but uh, we're glad you're, we're glad you're here and, uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump back into the book of Habakkuk, and if you were here last Sunday, um, we kind of had to cut things short. And uh, th- uh, thank you all for uh, praying as we had a medical emergency at the end of the service. And uh, um, Tom is Tom is doing well. Um, I did send out an email. Maybe some of you got that, but uh, he was he was released from the hospital in the middle of Sunday afternoon. And, uh, is, is doing well. So thank you for your continued prayers for Tom and, uh, and Marlene. And, uh, let me just say, I'm grateful for the medical personnel in our church that, uh, that was right there and can be trusted. Makes me feel a lot better if I get sick in the middle of a service that y'all, y'all are gonna run and help. So thank you for doing that. All right, we're going to jump into uh, the rest of the book of Habakkuk and conclude this book. And and I know we've gone over the background several times, but I think it helps us get a little bit of context. So uh, remember Habakkuk, he's the prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel has already fallen. Uh, this was the message of the prophets. Repent and turn back to God or else judgment is coming. 
And um, Deuteronomy 28 leads, uh, lays it out clearly. Um, you either follow God and uh, his commands and live for him and you'll be blessed, or you don't and there'll be problems. And so finally, the, the, the northern kingdom fell. That's because they had no good kings. Every single king in the northern kingdom was an evil king. And so judgment came a lot quicker. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah had a few good kings. King Josiah was one of them. But eventually, they were on a downward moral and spiritual spiral downward. And Habakkuk is prophesying in about 600 B.C., 605, 600, somewhere in, in there. And in 586, the Babylonians came. They came and they destroyed the temple. They burned Jerusalem. They took uh, the God's people and they took them a thousand miles away and wanted to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. This is where the story of Daniel comes in. But Habakkuk's in the midst of this and he's wondering and asking some questions, God, Look at God's people. Look how far they've fallen from you. When are you going to do something? How long are we going to have to put up with this? And look at the violence and the um, what's going on. And so um, God answers that question in chapter 1. He says, I am going to do something. I'm going to use the Babylonians to come and judge God's people. And now all of a sudden, Habakkuk has another question. How can a righteous God... Use a nation more evil than God's people, the Babylonians, to judge them. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, and we're all familiar with it, perhaps, uh, some of the most familiar verses in Isaiah. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are times in our lives where we can't fully understand what God is doing. And isn't it interesting? I mean, if we could figure out everything in the mind of God, he would not be God, would he? So Habakkuk is wrestling with this question of how long before God judges God's people. And when God answers him, he has a bigger question. How can you do that, God? That does not seem fair. That does not seem right. And chapter 2, verse 1, opens up with Habakkuk waiting for God to answer his second question or second complaint. And God answers it in chapter 2, and he says, Well, guess what, Habakkuk? I am going to judge the Babylonians. And he pronounces five woes on that wicked, ruthless nation. And Habakkuk realizes then that um, God is God. Chapter 2, verse 20 ends with the verse, uh, The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent. And then as we moved into chapter 3, and we we got through most of it uh, last week, chapter 3 is really a, a prayer of Habakkuk. And he's praising God when he realizes who God is and that he's sovereign and he's in control. He recalls the faithfulness of God in the past. And then he recites his faith in God in the midst of trying times. Some of the most familiar verses of, of from the book of Habakkuk, as the, the book concludes, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food and there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle's in the stall, there's economic meltdown. It would be like the stock market going down to zero tomorrow or next week. And, and our, our security and money is wiped out. And here's his declaration. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. One of the challenges, and this is, this is not a, a Christianity 101, but one of the challenges in our lives is to learn to praise God, not just in good times, but in challenging times. The amazing words of Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, this morning we're going to kind of step back and, and take a look at one of the major themes of the book of Habakkuk, and that being that God is sovereign and God is in control, and kind of look at it through the lens of Scripture. Uh, the title of this series was uh, Habakkuk, a minor prophet with a major message, and the major message is that even when it doesn't seem like it, God is on his throne and God is in control. And so let's, uh, let's look at, uh, at this, uh, topic through the lens of scripture and then we'll, uh, uh, conclude with, uh, a song that I think will speak to your heart. So here's what my friend, um, Benny Matthews. Benny Matthews is from India. I know it's an unusual Indian name. Uh, Benny Matthews has spoken at Maranatha many times and here's what Benny says. He says it all the time. God is large and in charge. <laughs> And that's true. And that's what we're going to see today. God's large and church. Remember the song? Uh, it's an old spiritual from 1927. He's got the whole world in his hands. We used to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. God, God is in control of the universe. And uh, that's, uh, that's the message of Scripture. And we need to be reminded of that truth today. Even in our, our world and in our, our culture, where we get immune to the evening news. 30, this was, this was earlier this week. I'm sure it's much higher now. 33 mass shootings in the United States so far this month. I think a mass shooting is when someone kills three or more people. I could be, it might be two, but I think it's three. State of California has already had four mass shootings just in the state of California in this month. And we look at our world and we say, what in the world is going on? We could be like Habakkuk. God, when are you going to do something? World tensions rising between superpowers. Almost a year-long war in Russia and Ukraine and now because Germany and the U.S. are going to be sending some tanks over there. Um, the stakes have been raised. The tensions are high. Uh, a number of years ago, the uh, Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists created something called the Doomsday Clock. This um, was done a number of years ago. The Doomsday Clock uh, consists of 
uh, a clock that they move determining, uh, determined by how close they think we are to like world destruction. <laughs> Encouraging thought for a Sunday morning. Um, on Tuesday, they moved the clock. These scientists have uh, followed this, moved the clock, and it's time to 90 seconds to midnight, 10 seconds closer than it has been previously. Midnight on the clock marks the theoretical point of annihilation and destruction from nuclear war. On Tuesday, the atomic bulletin's president cited repeated warnings by President Vladimir Putin and other Russian politicians that Moscow might be prepared to use nuclear weapons as a key factor in the decision to advance the doomsday clock. We're living in perilous times, and of course the Bible predicts that as we get closer to uh, to Christ's return. So how do we look at our world? There's a number of worldviews. By the way, everybody has a worldview. Whether they can express it or not, everybody has a lens, a worldview through which they look at world events. There's the atheist that looks at the world and says, well, there is no God. How could there be a God? Uh, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. The agnostic says, well, we can't really know. We, no one can really know or prove that there's a God, so we don't know if there's a God. Then there's something called deism. A lot of our founding fathers in America were deists. Thomas Jefferson was one of them. A deist believes that there is a God, but he's not really involved in the world. It's kind of like winding up a clock and creating the world and then set the clock down and now the clockmaker steps away and just lets it run. And so the deist says, yes, there's a God, but he's not a personal God. He's not really involved. And then there's what I believe, the God of the Bible. As Francis Schaeffer wrote, he is there and he's not silent. He's revealed himself through creation, general revelation, He's revealed himself through special revelation. He's given us a book of 66 chapters that is the word of God. He's revealed himself through the living word, his son Jesus. And he's a personal God who's involved in the universe and he's involved in our lives. So let's look at the sovereignty of God in a couple of areas. And the first one, as the book of Habakkuk tells us and reminds us, that God is sovereign over the nations. God is sovereign over the world. That history is his story. Uh, the verse we read in our scripture reading this morning, 2 Corinthians 20, verse 6, at the very tail end, King Jehoshaphat's prayer. They're being invaded. They're about to be invaded. And King Jehoshaphat is crying out to God. And they're praying and they're fasting. And here's what he, what we read in verse 6. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. 
No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. He blows on them and they wither away, and a whirlwind sweeps them up like chaff. Daniel 4.17, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. He gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it however he wants. Romans 13, 1, the powers that be, the, the leaders in government authority are there. Why? Because God has placed them there. And he's placed them there because he has a plan and a purpose. And so Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God Even When Life, Life Hurts, writes this. The so-called sovereign nations of the world are not truly sovereign They are nothing more than instruments in the hand of God to accomplish His will. Sometimes to protect His people. Sometimes to open doors for the advancement of the gospel. And sometimes to be His instrument of judgment against ungodliness, as the Babylonians were. As God looks down upon the nations that accomplish His purpose, even while rebelling against Him, He sees them as nothing more than His instruments. God is sovereign over all nations. He's sovereign over the officials of our government in all their actions as they affect us, directly or indirectly. He is sovereign over the officials of government in lands where our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer for their faith in him. And he's sovereign over the nations where every attempt is made to stamp out true Christianity. In all of these areas, God is sovereign and we can trust him. So the Bible says God's in control. And even when we watch the nightly news, and I was going to say read the newspapers, but we don't do that anymore. We watch the nightly news and we scroll on our phones and watch the the news reports. We can be reminded as bad as it gets, as bad as it seems, God is in control and he's working out his plan and purposes. You do know the last book in the Bible, don't you? The book of Revelation, the unveiling. John's the the apostle John has been been exiled to the the Isle of Patmos, and uh, he has a, a vision. And the outline of the the book of Revelation is in Revelation chapter one verse nineteen. Is the gives us the outline of the book. In Revelation one nineteen, we read, uh, "Right, this is." God, Jesus speaking to John, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. There's the outline of the book of Revelation. John, I want you to write what you've seen. Chapter one is, what did he see? He saw a vision of Jesus. Uh, it's the only, to my knowledge, the only description of Jesus in the Bible. <laughs> Fascinating to, to read what, what John sees and how he describes Jesus. So that's what he's seen. Now, I also want you to write what is what is now. Chapters 2 and 3, there's a message to seven local churches. Seven letters to seven local churches that are taken to the, the churches. And then, John, I want you to write, thirdly, what will take place later. That's chapters 4 through 22. The rest of the book is all future. And it tells us, how the world is going to end. 
And it lays out for us uh, the revelation, the unveiling of, of things that are have not yet taken place. There's minor discrepancies on how theologians interpret uh, some of Revelation, but um, what's what's to come? Well, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. The trumpet's going to sound, and there's going to be a shout, and God's going to descend from heaven, and uh, those that are dead in Christ are going to be raised up, and believers are going to be snatched away, and uh, there's that uh, reunion, that meeting in the air. That's followed by seven years of tribulation, uh, the rise of a world ruler, the Antichrist. And uh, the last part of the tribulation period is going to be horrific as God begins to pour his judgment out on people. Then there's the last battle, the final rebellion against God and the battle of Armageddon. And then Jesus returns with his armies on a white horse and victory is won. And God rules and reigns on planet Earth for 1,000 years. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. Following that then, the new heaven and the new earth. And the encouraging part this morning is that God is working out his plan in history and he is sovereign over the nations. Well, that song, uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. We don't sing it much anymore, but it's true and he does. But there's another verse. There's about six or seven verses of this song if you ever sung it. And the other verses are, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He has the whole world in his hands. So this morning we can perhaps acknowledge, yes, God is in control of the world and history. But maybe the key question is, do we believe God's sovereign in control of our lives? Can, can we trust God with our lives? Yes, he has the whole world in his hands. But is he trusting, is he, is, can I trust him when um, maybe life takes a wrong turn? And so here's the, the second truth here that we want to look at is that God is not only sovereign over the nations, but God is so sovereign over people. He's over Sovereign over our individual lives. The question, personal question, are you trusting God with your life? Is God worthy of our trust? And it's easy to trust Him when things are going well. Not so easy when we face life's challenges. I'm reminded every week we live in a fallen world. You know, we have this ideal world and we, we all want this, this kind of fairy tale world and fairy tale life and it's just not going to happen on this side of, of heaven. We live in a fallen world where there's, there's sin and there's sickness and there's pain and there's suffering. And so, uh, that's why there's so many books written on this, this topic. Um, I already quoted from one Jerry, Jerry Bridges' book from Navigators, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, great book. Craig Greshel, Hope in the Dark, Believing God is Good When Life is Not. Not easy to do. Randy Alcorn's book, If God is Good, Faith in the Midst of Suffering and Evil. 
And so these uh, Christian authors are, are wrestling with this. Can we trust God with our lives? And as we argue from the greater to the lesser, if God's in control of the universe, then we need to acknowledge that he must be in control of our lives as well. A number of years ago, maybe you're familiar with this poem, but uh, it was written by William Ernest Henley in 1875. It's called Invictus. Very popular poem. Um, we're familiar maybe with the last couple of uh, stanzas from this poem, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It's not very long. And uh, remember I said everybody has a worldview. You'll, you'll see the worldview of, of uh, Ernest Henley. Um, he wrote this when he was undergoing treatment for tuberculosis of the bone. Here's his poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horrors of the shades, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Here's the famous line. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, there's William Hensley's worldview. He's saying, in the face of difficulty, I'm in charge. I control my life. I control my fate. The analogy might be to Frank Sinatra's uh, popular song years ago. He says, I did it my way. Well, the news is that God is sovereign over our individual lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's a promise given to Israel, uh, to Judah, really, God's people, when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. And this is what Habakkuk's been prophesying. And uh, he says to, to God's people, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope in a future, even in the midst of captivity. Yeah, yeah. And God had a plan, and that captivity only lasted 70 years, and then uh, an edict was given to, to return the Jews back to their, their homeland. I think we can apply that verse to our lives as well. It's given directly to Judah, to God's people, but... God does have a plan for our individual lives, plan to prosper and give us hope and a future. And so just to, just to quickly think about what is God is sovereign, and this list could be very, very long, but what is God sovereign over? And just by way of review in our individual lives, God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 Paul writes the Ephesian church, and he's praising God as he begins in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he begins to enumerate what those blessings are. What has God blessed us with? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. The first blessing he talks about is salvation. And he says, you didn't choose God in essence, but God before the creation of the world has chosen you to be his what? Son and daughter. God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over his church. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 17, uh, talking about Talking about Jesus, the Son of God. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God's holding the universe together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And so, um, who's the head of the church? It's, it's, it's Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he's sovereign over the church. And he made a promise in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Ephesians 4 says he's, he's given gifts to all believers. And we all have a part in, in the church. And we have all have a giftedness. And we're to use that giftedness to build up and to encourage one another. And the church flourishes as everyone does their part. And so God is sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over the church. He's sovereign over our sanctification. That's our Christian growth. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. When Paul writes to the Philippian believers from prison, he's, he's thanking God for their partnership in the gospel. And in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's salvation, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God's not like us. Um, if you're like me, you've got some projects that you started and never finished. Um, my mom and a pastor's wife died of cancer at 50, died young. But my mom used to like crochet Afghans. I think that's the right word. Make Afghans and, and, uh, so um, she had like three or four that she would work on at the same time, but she she had uh, the three of us boys, but she never really used to had trouble finishing them. She started them, but never all finished them. And so we always had these uh, Afghans that were, they were almost done. And we used to kid kid my mom about that. Well, God's not like us. Here's the promise. He started a good work and he's going to finish it. What is that good work? Well, justification, that's when we put our faith in Jesus and there's no condemnation now to those that are in Christ Jesus. And then there's sanctification, growth in Christ. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps backward. But uh, we keep on going and we keep on um, holding on to God's promises and God wants to conform us to his image. And he says, I'll bring that to completion. That's glorification. That's when our salvation will be complete. Uh, when, when we're in heaven and the Bible says we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is. And so, um, we, you know, these t-shirts that were, um, popular years ago, you know, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. We're, we're all a process in the Christian life, 
but God will bring to completion our sanctification. What else is God sovereign over? Well, God's sovereign over our lifespan, our birth date, our death date. He knows it all before we're even born. Jeremiah 1, uh, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. And I gave you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, that great psalm. Talking about God's uh, uh, omnipotence and and, uh, talking about childbirth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. By the way, we, you know, there's a battle going on for, uh, in our country today, if if you watch the news at all, uh, for pro-life. And we need to stand strong on that. Um, God, you saw my unformed body. And then it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every day, you knew about God before we were even born, so God knows our birth date, God knows our death date, and we can trust him. He's sovereign over the days of our life. He knows everything about us. That's the first part of Psalm 139. Listen to it this morning. Let me just read this. You search me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You know what I'm thinking. You perceive my thoughts from afar off. You can't hide your thoughts from God. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely. You hem me in from behind and before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows everything about us. God controls our lifespan. God controls every detail of our life. Every single detail of our life God is aware of. We already read Psalm 139. Let me read a couple of other, other uh, verses from the New Testament that remind us of how um, intimately God is involved in your life and my life. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Uh, that's the theme of this section uh, in in. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, four times Jesus says, don't worry. And yet, and I'll admit this this morning publicly, what do we do? What do I do? I, I, I fall back into worry. The late southern preacher Vance Havner said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. What does worry do? Nothing. In fact, worry is a lack of Ultimately, a trust in God. And so um, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not much more valuable than they? There's, there's the encouragement this morning. You, you, when you leave here, someone says, what's your pastor preach about? yesterday? like, I'm more valuable than a bird. Oh, that's part of it. We are. I'm going to take care. If I take care of the birds, I'm going to take care of you. Matthew 10. Words of Jesus, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So what's the going rate for sparrows? At least Jesus is saying a half a penny apiece. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care, or some translations say knowledge. The half-penny sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, but God's not aware of it. And even the very numbers of your head, (laughs) and even the very hairs of your head, rather, are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. There it is again. Um. The message is God God knows when the sparrow falls. If God knows when the sparrow falls, then he knows what's going on in our life. I tried to look it up and and Google because I'm wondering, like, well, how many birds are there in the world? <laughs> so I Googled it, and, and I didn't get an exact estimate, but here's what I found. 200 to 400 billion birds in the planet. So there's a lot of birds. And God knows even when that bird uh, falls to the ground. Well, God is sovereign over the nations. God then is sovereign over our individual lives. That brings us to life lesson number three that we didn't get to last week. And a few of you felt like, it was incomplete, and so if you're wondering what that third life lesson was from last week, um, here, here it is, life lesson number three. The more we know God, the more we know God, the easier it is to trust him in difficult times. And those difficult times will come, won't they? James talks about it. He doesn't say, um, if trials come your way, he says, when trials come, they're coming. And he talks about many trials, the multitude different kinds of trials in life, they're coming. And the more we know God, the easier it is to trust him when trials come. Isn't it interesting that we trust people that we, uh, with our lives that we don't even know? We get on an airplane to, to fly somewhere, and we don't go up to the cockpit and say, uh, hey, I want to see your credentials. Like, did you really pass flight school? Uh, no, we, we implicitly trust that pilot with our life. We go to the pharmacy, and we go to the, the, the counter back there, and they're back there mixing drugs, and they give us a little bottle, and we don't like, uh, can you tell me exactly what is in here? And um, by the way, what what pharmaceutical school did the pharmacists graduate from? And uh, um, no, we just implicitly trust. Many, many ways in which we trust people we don't even know. And God says, I want you to know me 
so that you can trust me. Well, the more we know God, the more we can trust him. He's a God who cannot lie, by the way. He's trustworthy, Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. And in Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, he says there's three key truths that we need to grasp to trust God when life gets hard. And the first one we've already been talking about, but let's just uh, lay it out there. God is completely sovereign. He's in control. Uh, Author Margaret Clarkson writes this. The circumstances surrounding our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. Martin Luther used to say, even the devil is God's devil. He had to come and ask God permission to touch Job, and God gave him permission and said, you can only go this far, Satan. And so God, even evil, is firmly held within the mighty hand of our sovereign God. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. We talked about Job. God has an overarching purpose for all believers to conform us to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He also has a specific purpose for each of us that is his unique, tailor-made plan for our individual lives, and God will fulfill that purpose. Because we know God is directing our lives to an ultimate end, and because we know he is sovereignly able to orchestrate the events of our lives toward that end, we can trust him. We can commit to him not only the ultimate outcome of our lives, but also all the intermediate events and circumstances that will bring it to pass. God is completely sovereign over good and over evil. What's Romans 8.28 say that we... we quote that often for believers. We know that God works all things together for good, spiritual good, our good and his glory. And so God is completely sovereign. The second truth from um, the book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, is that God is infinite in wisdom. He's not only completely sovereign, but he knows everything. Psalm 139, we read those verses. He is omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. We see just a little slice of life at a time. God sees the beginning and the ending, and he's orchestrating it all. And so that famous passage in Romans, where Paul writes in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches of what? The wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments His paths beyond tracing out. We can't fully figure God out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for? From him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. So God is completely sovereign. He's infinite in wisdom. And then here's the third one, that God is perfect in love. God's perfect in love. He loves us beyond we can even imagine or think. And if you ever doubt God's love, just look go look at the cross and what he did for each and every one of us. And so Paul prays that prayer in the in the book of Ephesians. And he says, oh, I, I want the believers to, I want you to understand the, the height and the depth and the breadth of how much God loves you. And so the more we know God, 
the easier it is to trust him in difficult times. And that's why Paul writes in his autobiographical section in there in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know him. And a lot of people know about God. But he, he wants us to know him intimately and personally. And the more we're in this book and the more we read and study, um, the more we will know who God is. Habakkuk, a minor prophet with a major message. God is in control. And when our world seems out of control, and at times our life seems out of control, we need to be reminded God is large and in charge. One of my earliest memories as a young boy, and I don't remember the details, but I remember this story. I was, I was probably four or five years old. And we're uh, on a vacation, and we're traveling, and I don't even know where it was, but uh, we've been on the road for a long time, and it's been dark for a while, so it's getting late, and uh, I'm in the back seat of the car with my older brother. I don't think my younger brother had made an appearance on the scene yet. And I'm kind of uh, half asleep, but I'm also kind of in tune and listening to the conversation going on between my dad and mom in the front seat. And they didn't have reservations for that night. So they're they're driving through this town. It's late. We've been on the road all day long. And I know my dad and mom are tired. And uh, we keep going by these hotels and the sign says, no vacancy. And I'm like, well, not a problem. We'll, we'll go to the next one. And uh, drove by and uh, looked for another hotel, no vacancy. And um, I remember that happening repeatedly, and I kind of picked up that, like, you know, after about the fourth or fifth time, and maybe there was some sort of convention in that town, but <laughs> there's like, there are no hotels, and uh, they're all they're all booked, and it's late at night. And here I am, four or five years old, and I have to tell you, while I heard that conversation, I had not one single worry in the world. I'm like, not a problem. Because I know who's driving the car. It's my dad. And I know my dad. I know how much he loves us. And if we have to keep driving all through the night, I know we're going to be okay. Because my dad's got a hold of the steering wheel, and I can trust him. And that's what Habakkuk is asking us to do. You know, when we go through those difficult trials of life, it's natural to wonder and ask the question, does God really know? In, in Isaiah, uh, that passage in Isaiah we read, like, God, have you forgotten me? Do you really know what's happening? Do you know how painful this is? God says, yes, I know. By the way, if, if the sparrow doesn't fall without me knowing it, I know much more what's going on in your life. And I'm aware, and I'm in control, and you can trust me. We're going to listen to a great song. The singer's name is Wintley Phipps. It's an old song, but I want you to catch the words here. 
it starts out with some questions. He just like like Habakkuk started out with some questions. He asked in the song, "Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely?" And you know what his answer is when the song says, "God's in control. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me." Let's uh, you'll enjoy this song. It's about five minutes long, and uh, then we'll pray. Should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. watches me I sing because I'm happy yes I sing because I'm free for his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches over me Watches. I know he's watching over me.
He's watching Stand with me. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of this song. Lord, if there's billions of birds on the planet and not one of them falls to the ground that you're not aware of, help us to be reminded today that you know everything about our lives. And that nothing can happen to us today, nothing good, nothing bad, without first passing through the Father's hand. And so thank you, even in the midst of pain, that we can trust you. And Lord, I pray that uh, the reminders of these truths and this song will encourage our hearts today, that when life gets difficult, when life gets challenging, um, when those dark nights come, Lord, thank you that we know that you're watching over us that you have a plan and a purpose that perhaps we can't understand, but that ultimately you will bring to fulfillment and that you who began a good work in us will complete it someday when we're with you. So we trust you in the good times. We trust you in the bad times. Thank you that you're completely sovereign. Thank you that you know everything. You're omniscient. You know the end from the beginning. Thank you that you love us beyond our comprehension. May our hearts be encouraged, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.